Hear the word of the Lord. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was a hundred years old, he fathered Arpashad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpashad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Arpashad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpashad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ryu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ryu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ryu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Ryu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and he had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Naor. And, and, and Serug lived after he fathered Naor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Naor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Naor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. And the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. And Terah took Abram, his son, and the lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful God, grant us ears to hear. Grant us hearts to receive your profound truths as found in your words in the scriptures. Bless us this morning, we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. You know, when I was, uh, found myself in uh, middle school, I got to travel to visit my great uncle, who I'd heard some stories about. Now, my great uncle lived way, way up north in Alberta. Like, I don't know if you know anything about Alberta. I know it's Canada, and we don't really learn about Canada in our schools in America. But, you know, you got Alberta, and Edmonton's usually as far north as people think of, and it's kind of in the middle. But it's like way past there, out in the middle of the woods, is where my great uncle lived. He was a fur trapper lived off the land, you know, no running water, no electricity. Um, and, you know, his, he grew up and his, his dad actually found a, a, a bear cub when he was young and, 
actually raised a bear and had a bear for a pet. I mean, talk about that. You imagine show and tell at school. I was like, hey, I'm going to bring my, my pet bear with me. And so uh, this, is, this is my great, my great uncle. And I was so excited to, to meet him. And, uh, you know, we drive and we drive and we drive some more. And we have to make sure we take an extra gas with us in case we run out of gas on the way up, way north. I mean, you're, you're out there. Uh, and uh, so we go and we visit him. And he takes us around his property. He's got piles of stuff. He's got so many buildings that he's built and all these outbuildings and I don't know, for some reason, at some point in his life, they moved a schoolhouse to this property, and, uh, and they just filled up all this with stuff. There's like Reader's Digest magazines from like the 1930s there, and just piles of, of stuff, and old tractors, and old vehicles that didn't run, and, uh, and you know, then he, he had his house, which is this little cabin, this little one-room cabin, and he slept there, and ate there, and it was pretty gross, but, and as we were, you know, I mean, it smelled, and as we were uh, leaving... Um, you know, I was, had two mixed feelings about my, my visit with him. For one, you know, as a young man, I was like, this is awesome. How cool would it be to just live off the land, do whatever I want, catch, catch my rainwater to drink, and, you know, it'd be fun. And then, but also there's a mixture of sadness. Like, the guy was alone. He saw humans maybe once or twice a month. And it was when his neighbors, which lived like 50 miles away from him, came to check on him to make sure Frank was still alive. And uh, it was this profoundly lonely life that he had. You know, all the land that he had, all the stuff that he had collected, all the warmth of his fire, and no one to share it with. No one to carry his legacy on. And it's, it was really sad. And I think one of the things we're going to find in our passage this morning is this deep foundation that lies behind everything in Scripture when it comes to the purpose of God's people. That we were blessed not to hoard, but we're people that are blessed to be a blessing. We're not meant to waste away alone somewhere by ourselves and save up all that we have. But we're meant to be a people who actually spend ourselves for the sake of others. We're not supposed to have some scarcity mindset, hoarding resources, always in fear of being without. But we've been a people that have been given life and blessing to actually give that blessing to others, to bless the world with it. And this is at the, what's at the center of, of the mission of, of us as a, as a church and why we want to see so many churches planted and, and churches expanding. We want to build other worshiping communities. We don't want to store up everything in this one place. We don't want a church of 2,000 people. We want 20 churches of 200 people or 10 churches of 200. Math is hard. Whatever that is, we want to see many churches planted throughout this area. Right, sharing the blessings that they have in Christ with their neighbors, that they too can be blessed to be a blessing. I, one of the challenging things for us to actually accomplish this goal is this goes against every cultural norm that we have. And those cultural norms that kind of soak their, their, their way into our hearts, those norms that say, listen, you're supposed to toil, you're supposed to work, you're supposed to have a job. Why? To save up for yourself. Right? You, you work hard during the week so you can have weekends. You, you work hard so you can have a comfortable retirement where you can just do whatever you want, whenever you want, and no one can tell you what to do. You're living for yourself. And this is what so many people are living for, themselves. Blessed to bless themselves. And I think in this last Sunday that we have in Genesis until next fall, we're going to find a much greater purpose for our living. A much greater purpose for any blessing that you have. 
Because we see that God's mission will, will challenge both our, our culture of selfish, selfishness and the various ways that, that has seeped into our own hearts. Because God blesses his people with new life. We are to be a people who bless the world with that new life. And in that, just like Jesus said, I came for the life of the world. We exist for the life of the world, not our own lives. And so as we explore this kind of deep meaning of life this morning, I think there's, there's two things we're going to see here. The first is that you have to lose your life to find it. And the second is that you, you have to find your life to give it. So first, you have to lose your life to find it. I mean, to, get, to set this up, you know, at the, here at the end of chapter 11, we get another genealogy of Shem, also great places to look if you're looking to name a, a child. Um, so many great, great options. I think Peleg is probably one of my favorites. Um, go for it. Maybe a middle name, you know, no one knows people's middle names. But we get another gene- genealogy here, and it, it kind of matches the genealogy given in, in Genesis chapter 5. Again, you know, one of the things genealogy shows, God's faithfulness to continue to, to continue the line of man, to bring about the seed of, of woman, to crush the head of the serpent. But I think there, there's something else unique that's happening here, is that here, the, the transition from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12 is one of the great transitions that happens in Scripture, where from Genesis 1 to 11, you find God dealing with humanity at large. He, he's dealing with humanity, God all humanity. That's how he's dealing with us. And in chapter 12, there's, there's a shift. As, as the population is growing, as humanity is expanding, there's a shift to where he, he, he begins working through a particular person. And through that person, he begins working through a particular people to make his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the shift that starts to happen here in chapter 12 as God speaks to Abram. So look with me here, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, right now the Lord... Keep in mind here, Abram's never heard from the Lord directly. It's kind of out of the blue. This is what happens. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So the Lord comes and speaks to Abram saying, go, leave your, leave your country, leave your kindred and your father's house and to this new land and I'm going to make you great. And I think passages like, like Genesis 12 are, are some of those passages that it's so easy to just read past and uh, but God's request of Abram here is no small thing. God is asking Abram to leave everything. I mean, look at these three things that he's asking him to leave. First, he says, leave your country. Your country, he's saying, leave your land, your home, his inheritance of a home, and all the wealth that comes from having a land and a home. I think, although we, I think we often overlook it, but what's one of the things that gives a country its strength? What's well, its land? It's this land that has particular resources, and the resources of a land are that country's strength. It's what makes certain areas in this world so desirable is the resources that they have. And, uh, and so in family wealth, it typically revolves around land that passes down from generation to generation. He's asking Abram, listen, leave all of that. Leave your strength. Leave your inheritance. So that's the first thing he's asking. The second is his kindred. You know, this is speaking about his family, even back up in verse 28 of chapter 11, it speaks of his kindred, that Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred. And so he's talking about this land that he's leaving, as where his family is. It's, it's, and what is family? Family is a place of comfort, isn't it? Family provides warmth, love, shelter, provides meals. 
All these things are the comforts of life. He said, Abram, leave your comfort. Leave your protection. And the, the third and last thing we see him leaving is his father's house. His father's house is his legacy. Right? It's a place where his family has is, is been laid in the ground. It's, it's you know, your name and your connection to land means something. To say I'm a son of Terah and the line of Shem means something. It's not an accident that we have these genealogies listed here, listed here. And he's saying, listen, leave your father's house too. The protection that's offered there. The legacy that is there, there, leave it. These three things God is saying, in these three things God is saying, listen, I'm calling you to leave everything. Leave every backup plan. Leave your life. He has to lose his life. Why? So that he can be given life. You know, in every loss, God says to him, listen, I'm going to give you back that thing and more. You know, in verse 2, it says, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, great so that you will be a blessing. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a greater land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. How is his name great? How is the name great? But it's because of legacy, right? Heritage. He said, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to give you a legacy. I'm going to protect you. I will be your comfort. All those things that you're letting go of, he said, I'm going to give you something greater. Now, this is kind of this backwards nature of God and his kingdom. It, kind of, it goes against our instincts. We think it is, it's our work that makes us great, that gives us a legacy. You know, we, we love good rags to riches stories, right, where someone builds something from nothing to become influential or wealthy. But here, he says, to find your life, to, to have life with God, you have to lose it. It's backwards. God is saying you have to lose your life to find it. Life with God only happens when our old life and our old dependencies die, when they're left behind. So often when this idea is talked about, we can, we can get focused on all that we have to lose. Right? We're, we're worried. We have a lot to lose. Can we really give up all those things, all those dependencies that we have for our life? And you know, this was the problem with that wealthy man who Jesus encountered. You remember this story where this wealthy man comes to Jesus and says, how am I going to inherit the eternal life? And what did Jesus say to him? He said, sell all that you have. It's a sad story because the wealthy man walks away sad because he had many things, the text tells us. He said, you have to lose your life to find life. But in losing your life, you find something far greater than you could ever earn on your own. I mean, look at the emphasis of the language here. It isn't on Abram's actions to, to earn him anything. He has one command, go. And then it's God, the one that's doing our work. He says, I will make. He says, I will bless. I will bless you. Abraham wasn't chosen because he was something great or because he had some hidden talent. That's because God chose him. I mean, we see this plainly here. I mean, who is Abram before this moment? And why Abram and why not his brothers? I mean, his brother at least had children, Abram was the one who actually had no promise of a legacy at this point. I mean, verse 30 up here tells us that his wife was barren. She had no children and no ability to have children. It wasn't like God didn't know this fact before he was chosen. Like, oh, man, Gabriel, you chose the wrong brother. Come on, man. We got, we, we, we got to get the other one. You made a mistake. Right? You know, the only quality I can find in Abram here was that he appeared to be the weakest of the bunch. God saw a man who was weak, someone whose legacy was about to end with he and his wife. And he says, yeah, that's the guy. And he said, leave everything that you think will make you strong. Leave everything that you think defines you. And I'm going to make you a nation. 
Leave your life and I will give you life. And through a weak man in Abram and a barren woman in Sarai, he fills the earth with his glory. You have to lose your life to find it. You have to be weak to be strong. I think the problem with, with, our, with our lives, the problem with strength, the problem with our position and legacy, it's easy for us to think that these things depend on us. That somehow we, we earned them or we built them. You know, in, in Luke chapter 10, is this kind of beautiful scene where Jesus sends all his disciples out to, to minister, to talk about the kingdom of God, and, and then they come back and they start, they're really excited about it. It's like, man, Jesus, even the demons listen to us. That was so awesome. Uh, super excited. And, uh, you know, Jesus plays the part of the wet blanket and he, he says, don't rejoice in your successes. And at first, kind of like, Jesus, that's kind of mean. Like, they just did some cool stuff. Like, at least be like, hey, good job. Hey, just something to think about. But, you know, Jesus goes right for their hearts. He says, don't rejoice in your success. And he tells them what to rejoice in. He says, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. What Jesus is telling them and telling us and what this moment tells us is that belonging to the King of Kings is what makes us something. It's not anything you accomplish in this life. Right? The person who cleans the toilets and the person who rules countries are equal here. The thing that makes us great is not their work, but God's work. You have to lose your life to find it. And there's no, of course, no greater example of this than Christ. Right? Christ, what did he do? But he left the comforts of heaven. Christ who left his father's house, Christ who left his father's protection, to be born in a manger, to walk in the dust of earth, you know, to live 33 years with us. It wasn't just here and gone. 33 years he lived with us. Why? Only to be emptied out on the cross so that you could be filled with his presence. Right? He gave his, his life that you could find it sharing his country with you, sharing his inheritance with you, giving us a new father, a new legacy. He who was rich became poor that you might be blessed and to become part of his family. And he did it to give you new life. And just like he gave you his life, that you might find true life in him, he actually calls you to give your life as well, emptying ourselves for the sake of the other. Because in Christ, we are united to Abram. We are the legacy here. We are the part of this greater kingdom, this, this great nation that was being built. And when we read it this morning in our, in our assurance of part in 1 Peter 2, to read it again, it says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are that holy nation. We are that new ethnic group, that new family that was built. And we're called to continue to build it. This is the work that Christ leads us into as he gives us his life. And as we die to ourselves, we are raised in Christ to do the work of Christ. Right? We are blessed to be a blessing. We have been given much to pour ourselves out to the world. And this is the, the second thing we see here is that you have to find your life to give it. You have to find your life to give it. You know, there's this simple truth that you can't give what you don't have, right? I, I can't give you something that I don't have. And what you have, all of what you have, is not from you, but it's actually from God. 
And once God has blessed us and made us his own, he calls us to give our life, to pour it out for others. He calls us, what he has given us is not for our own benefit, but actually for the benefit of the world. There's a recklessness to the life of a Christian that's being talked about here. And we see this here at the end of verse two, after he says, I'm gonna, I, will, I will do all these things, he says this, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right, the, the way that God is spreading his kingdom over the earth, the way that he's accomplishing his task is actually through the family of Abram. Right, the family who lost everything. Through that family, the world will be blessed. He can only be a blessing to the world, though, as if he goes. Right, if he actually finds his life in God. And as he does... He not only receives that blessing from God, but he becomes the one who transmits that blessing from him to the world. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that you and I both belong to this mission. We too have been blessed to find our life in Christ. And as we find our life in Christ, we're meant to share that life with the world, to give it to the world, to, to, to share all that we have. And I think there's a lot of ways that we could talk about this, but, but I'm gonna mention Two here. And first, I, it's interesting for us, there's only one in, imperative, right? There's only one command for you and I given to Abram here. And it's this it says, Go. I think there's a lot we can learn from just this word, Go. Uh, I, I know many people who are afraid to, to go, to do, they're paralyzed, unable to do anything because they're worried. Like, what if I make the wrong decision? What if I move to the wrong place? What if I take the wrong Job, what if I don't do the, the thing that I'm meant to do? What if it doesn't do enough good in the, the world? And, or what if I do it wrong? And, and it's this kind of fear of failure that paralyzes us from doing anything. But God's word to Abram, God's word to you and I is simple. Just go. I will do things. It isn't some grand plan that's being laid out here. He doesn't have the blueprints for it. It's just simply, just go. Abram simply needed to walk in faith. And for you and I, Go. Be present in your neighborhood. Be present in your workplace. Be present in this place. Go. There's something about being a faithful presence that opens all sorts of doors for us. Even here, I've had so many random conversations with people in the alleyway. It's not usually where you have good conversations, but I have plenty of good conversations here in the alleyway. Why? Because I'm doing something special? Because I got a sign that says, talk to me? No. My sign says, please leave me alone. I'm busy. But they come and talk to me anyways, and I have these amazing conversations. I have people I pray for, people I hang out with, people I've gotten to know, just because I'm being present. I will say this, though. As you do go, as you are a faithful presence of God and his kingdom, wherever you find yourselves, it doesn't mean that you will be successful, at least in worldly terms. I mean, we're actually told here that there's going to be opposition to our work. Not everything that we try and do succeeds. Much of what we try and do fails, and yet we still go. Even still, we live faithfully in present lives, going wherever God leads us, because we are people who have our names written in the book of life. It gives us a profound confidence. It propels us to go, because it isn't a confidence in ourselves and our own ability to accomplish things or get things done, but in the God who calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He tells us to go. Secondly, this is maybe harder, depending on who you are, I think there, there's something here that points us towards a radical generosity. 
that we as a people should be marked with a radical generosity. It's even reckless. That God has not blessed you with resources to hoard them, but to use them for the sake of his kingdom. Nothing that you have is your own. Even your children, which is your most precious, precious resource, they are not your own. All the worldly blessings that Abram received were from God. He left his father's house and comforts and all that he gained was from the the hand of the Lord. And there's this truth that all your worldly comforts, all your worldly possessions, they're not your own. You've been given them to invest them in the kingdom. And the question is, are you generous with your blessing, with what you've been blessed with? Do you see your possessions as, as gifts from God meant to be shared? I think, you know, many people who have stuff and things who have been blessed immensely often feel guilty about it. Like they feel sorry, like I'm sorry that I'm, I'm so wealthy. I didn't mean to be, I promise it was an accident. It just happened one day. You know, we feel guilty about it. But I will say this, unless you obtained your wealth unethically or sinfully stealing it, you do not need to feel guilty about having money. That's a gift from the Lord. God uses rich people as he has always all through scripture to do amazing things. The kingdom of God is built with rich people. We need rich people who are generous with their funds. God has blessed you. This is good. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you have much or whether you have little, one of the things you see throughout the New Testament consistently is whatever you have, it doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. And whatever you have, you're called to be generous with it. To take stock in how do we spend our resources, whether that's the, the money or, or whether it's with time or whatever it is, whatever we've been given, whether it's a big house or whether that, whatever it is, whatever we have, do we share it? Are we generous with it? Are we reckless in a way? Are we always worried about it? I think this applies to even the children in the room too. You, you might not have you know, fat bank accounts like your parents do, um, but God has blessed all of us with resources. Maybe it's an extra snack at lunchtime. Who knows what that thing is for you? But we all have been blessed with things that we can share with others. This should mark us as the people of God. The people of God should be a people who have no fear. We aren't those who live for the weekend or who can't wait to retire to finally live for ourselves because we understand that our life is not our own. I mean, if this point is a particular struggle for you, Like if it's really hard for you to let go of what you have or you're paralyzed with fear to do anything, I think it's a warning to us in our own lives that we're clinging to the old. That we're clinging to the old way where we live as if all that we have is ours alone. We live as if if we don't do it right, God's going to take it all away from us. And if that is you this morning, if you struggle with this, if this is a hard thing for you, my request to you is simply to pray. Ask God to f- forgive you for, for that, for hoarding resources that he's given you to bless others with, and then to help you. And I promise you two things will happen. For one, he will forgive you, and he, he already has forgiven you, and Christ is the example of that. So that's a surety. This isn't the unforgivable sin. And he will help you to be a more generous person. He will help you overcome your fear of failure to go out and trust that he is a God who loves his children regardless of what we accomplish or don't accomplish because it is his work that's being accomplished. And as Christ spent his life, right, to bring us into this, his family, we're called to be people who learn, who grow in this ability to do the same, who learn to spend our lives, spend our resources, spend whatever we have for the sake of our neighbor. May we be a, a people who 
so trust in the gospel of Christ that we would be a people who are marked by radical generosity. May we be a people who aren't afraid to go and fail because we know our identity as ones marked in the book of life is a surety. Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your mercy, for your grace. We give you thanks for how your word humbles us, stretches us, calls us to do things that are uncomfortable. May we learn to trust you with even those things that we hold most precious to us. May we trust you and walk faithfully with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.